Hello, what's going on? Rich Ryan here bringing you a Torque Talk. This Torque Talk is full of race recaps. That's what we got going on. Had a bunch of people racing. We had Mark Audet out at the Ultra in Ohio. We had Logan Broadbent running all three of the trifecta races in Ohio. I was down in uh, Orlando doing High Rocks. And we had Jamie Brusa who was at the Copper City 15K. Uh, she is not on the podcast, but I did want to mention her because she's super fit. She ran a course record. She was third overall, uh, first female. She crushed it. So be on the lookout for her when it's time to throw those obstacles back in the mix because she's going to be fit and ready. So the way this is going to go, the first part of this is going to be about 40 minutes of Logan recapping his races. Then it's going to be Mark and I chatting, recapping his races. And then at the end, it's just me which I have never done before. It's just kind of me talking, just kind of like this right now, but me talking about the race that I had run and High Rocks down in Orlando. So if you're into just like hearing about race splits and how one person could be better at a race, that's it's for you. The other two are really cool conversations with Logan. Had an awesome weekend. Mark had an awesome weekend. I think you're going to learn a lot. So like, let's just find out. All right, here we go. Logan Broadbent. Oh, damn it. I did it again. I keep doing that. <laughs> Logan Broadbent. What am I saying? Broadbent? Am I throwing an R in there? You said the Broadbent or Broadbent. Broad I mean, Broad there's a lot of Bs and Ds and Ts that all kind of sound alike. So I won't hold it against you. When I try to, yeah, my name's easy to spell, but I always have to enunciate when I'm spelling it to somebody else. You do enunciate very well. Is that because of the Broadbent last name that you've just been trained since? since birth to really enunciate yeah, it, it probably is i wanted to be a broadcaster when i was young i always wanted to be a news broadcaster and then um i don't know that ship sailed at some point but uh you think yeah maybe i mean maybe it hasn't maybe i still have a shot i uh i went a different direction but um but i do like public speaking so i guess it's a good thing that i enunciate so when i mean when boomerang blows up on the global space and once you're good and retired Yes. They're going to they're gonna want you there. I, I mean, I'll be on the Ocho. I'll be on the Ocho uh, <laughs> commentating on all the Boomerang events uh, yes. nationally and internationally. I, I think I'll be the, the lead commentator for sure. I think they, they already penciled you in for that. Like there's no interview necessary. <laughs> you're, just, you're just right into it. All right, my friend. You won about 1,000 races this weekend alone. <sighs> a, a fantastic job representing the home state like I knew you would. Spartan race, Ohio, the champion in the beast, champion in the super, champion in the sprint. How are you feeling after that? Like, what is it like after, I've never done a trifecta weekend. What's that recovery like? You know what? I don't know that I've done a trifecta weekend. I've done back-to-back -back races, right? Where you race Saturday and then you race Sunday, but I've never done race Saturday, race Sunday, and then race again on Sunday. So I wasn't quite sure how it would feel. And it feels kind of the way you'd imagine it feeling. It sucks. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty beat uh, by the time we got to the sprint, but luckily they were progressively shorter races. And so mentally you could kind of get back in it knowing it was going to be shorter than the last race you just ran, you know, essentially half of what you just ran. And, uh, and I think that kind of kept me in it, but it was, it was in Ohio. It was in my backyard. Uh, a lot of people that I train with, a lot of people I know from the community, uh, you know, we're there to compete. And so I just felt like I, I had to race. It was an hour away and I, I had to just do them all. 
you know, and and do them all in the uh, in the elite series. So it seems like when we were talking before that you were a little bit on the fence whether you wanted to do the ultra or do the the, the regular kind of uh, races. I wasn't sure if you were going to do the the whole trifecta piece. Now, was this to then prepare for something or were you just like, hey, I'm here. There's no reason to not. I feel good. I feel healthy. Like, let's just knock them out. Yeah, well, I was looking at the rest of the U.S. National Series because we have Utah coming up next month and then we have Asheville soon thereafter and I was looking at the distances um and there aren't any for the U.S. National Series there aren't any distance distances that are ultra I think Beast is the longest uh, including Utah and so I thought okay let's um you know let's gear up for that let's let's understand the distance understand the feel um you know do that distance and then you know it being here in Ohio if I wanted to triple up this weekend uh, I think it'd probably be smarter for me to run the beast than to run the ultra and then try to double up on Sunday. So I think it was the right decision. Um, yeah, I felt, I felt good about it. There was some good competition coming into town. Uh, Mark Gaudet uh, was coming in, uh, another Spartan pro, another member of uh, the Obstacle Racing Collaborative. Torque, baby. Um, yeah, yeah. So he was going to be running the ultra. We had uh, Tyler Veerman who came in, ran the ultra. Uh, I was talking to uh, Chris Bob Brown, who uh, – uh, who was planning to run the ultra he and i were kind of going back and forth i was like oh man you should join me in the in the in the beast and so he made a game time decision to run the beast um and so you know kind of had another you know good good strong competitor in in, in that field but uh but yeah it was the right call i think i think Beast super sprint was the way to go and i know you kind of felt like because there were some strong competitors you mentioned Tyler and, and Mark went up in set, who ended up second. And Tyler had a real strong performance, and then like Ian Caskey was there, Josh Fiore was there. There was right. just like good ultra runners, and you were kind of feeling like that was where the competition was. But it, the the beast did turn into be a pretty competitive race. I mean, there's Spartan pros, yeah, uh, down to I'm not sure. There's I mean, it's five or six Spartan pros, yeah, deep on yeah, this. Yeah. Had, uh, yeah, and so you know, I I never want to shy away from being in the most competitive race of the weekend Mm -hmm. so i was really bouncing between the ultra and the beast um you know seeing good competition in both you know made made the final decision to go with the beast but uh uh, but yeah there were there were no scrubs in this race either we had you know uh, in the beast there was chris brown there was um jordan buscemi john penlin came out from colorado um, Adam Baylor, we had, uh, uh, this new kid, Michael Suazo, uh, who actually did really well. He finished second in two of the races. Maybe it was the, uh, I think it was the sprint and the beast. And, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll be a good competitive runner here soon. Uh, you'll, you'll see him on the map. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't recognize him from a name or from like the photos either, but he showed up, man. This He's is a, new. Like, yeah, he beat a couple of really strong competitors. Looks like he's done some savages and is fared in the top top five here or there. He's like top twenty at Jacksonville. So, all right, cool. Like he's he's yeah. in the mix. That's great. And yeah, so it just adds to that depth. So I don't know, like that's like I think that's a toss up between what the most competitive race was for the weekend between um, the Beast or the Ultra. But you went with the Beast. So tell us about it. Like when I was following, I'm like. I don't know how many people do this. I'm I, I'm sure I'm in the strong minority of people who watch the Athlinks to like refresh <laughs> yeah. to see like how things are going. Yeah. It's all it's all we got. If that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. I'm gonna watch it that way. So I was watching it, and it looked like 
you just had it from the start. Like there was early yeah. one of the one of the spots. There was um, like uh, a split, and you were up by a minute and a half, like really early okay. into the race. So was it like that from the jump? Did you take? Did you did you aggressively yeah. go after it? Yeah, yeah. I really, I really wanted. So for for a race this distance, um, you never want somebody to think they're in contention. Right. Or, or you, you, you have two options, right? You can hang on to the lead pack and then try to make a move late, or you can go out early and expect everybody to play for second. And that was the goal here. No matter what you do in all of these races, everybody goes out way too fast. So mm -hmm. if I were to run an ideal race, I'd go out significantly slower and I would, um, you know, try to negative split the back half or something like that, right? But of course, with obstacles, you, you know, it doesn't, never quite works that way. Right. Um, but my goal here is, hey, if we're all going to go out fast, then I'm going to make sure that you burn your fuse, right? And that you don't have that rebound later. And so everybody went out too fast, as I expected. And um, I decided to just keep pushing. And uh, we went through kind of a blind turn area, uh, after some over walls and uh, and that's where I started to make a make a move. A lot of this race is pretty blind because we're either in the woods or you're in like tall grass or these different areas where you, you can't quite see too far ahead of you and there's a lot of twists and turns. And so that's an opportunity to make that mental break so that the next time they expect to see you, you're you're way, way up ahead. So that was kind of just use that course because there was a lot of twists and turns happening throughout this race. So it was, it was kind of strategic to, to do that, to just kind of yeah. get out of sight and, and go. Um, and the way that the course was kind of laid out, it seemed like the first mile or two had some kind of speed bump type obstacles in the way. But then it was just like that whole back windy section. It would just be like an obstacle and then a mile of running and then an obstacle and then a mile of running. Did you have a hard time in keeping engaged through that point? Or were you pretty, pretty like dialed in this whole time and staying present within the race or did it like, yeah, how was that? Yeah. No, I managed, I managed to stay pretty dialed in, pretty present during the race. Um, this race in particular forces you to constantly be thinking and ch choosing your line um, because if it wasn't super duper muddy, which it was in most cases, um, or you weren't passing a million different ultra athletes who went out an hour or a half hour before you, um, you were, mm. you were choosing your footing through, you know, through sand, uh, trying to pick, pick something that's a little bit more compacted. Um, you're trying to, you know, find any chance you can to take, uh, you know, take a sharper turn or to, um, you know, to find, find a few feet here and there to, to stay ahead. And, and so for that reason, you can't just check out in this course. Um, you always have to be paying attention. And there's a couple points where the ultra actually splits off. And so if you're not alert, if you're not really, you know, keeping your mind right, uh, you could easily take a wrong turn and, and go the wrong direction. True, true that. And like the way the course, from my understanding, the course is, I think what, over the course of almost 14 miles, there was like 700 feet of elevation or something like <laughs> that. So not a mountain here. Definitely not. No, it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it the, the climbs that they did have were super steep because this was like an old quarry that was converted to like an off wheel, you know, or off road, like 
you know, driving park or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so there's some really steep, rocky or sandy sections. Um, so any climbs that we did have were, were pretty slick, pretty soft, uh, really steep. You know, they got your heart rate up, but they weren't like these long, long climbs, um, you know, like what you'd see in any of the mountain stuff. So, yeah, so you were over them quick. And if you can get back up to speed quickly, probably save, save a few seconds compared to, compared to everyone else. But it wasn't necessarily part of the race that needed to be accounted for as much. So during this, like, no, and the, this was also pretty heavy carry, uh, car- heavy carry heavy. There's a lot of heavy carries yes. in this. Um, yes. yes. Yep. And in, in when we last had an update, it was after uh, the Savage race in Ohio, which you opted out of the heavy carry. As we found out, not allowed. Can't do that. But not allowed to go back. Yep. You have to carry. You have to carry the heavy carry. But your back was has been an issue um, over the course of, of uh, the past couple weeks or months or so. Like where it's been kind of on the mend. Um, not necessarily running related, but there's still like some acute pain in there, depending on what you're doing. So when you saw that there was a lot of carries here, was that a concern of yours? How did you think that was going to go? Yeah, that made me nervous. That was the one thing that that was kind of concerning me. Um, Luckily, there weren't a lot of really long, hard downhills like in the Savage Race. That was what was really kind of beating up my back. Um, my back had continued to kind of be on the mend for those couple of weeks. Um, and I felt like I was probably 80, 85% going into this. Um, so I wasn't sure if the heavy carries were really going to hurt me or if it was just going to be, you know, something that was kind of nagging, you know, during the race and it just kind of pushed through and it doesn't really slow you down. And luckily it was the latter, right? It didn't, it didn't slow me down. I felt it. It was tired. That's fine. But the carries were short enough that, uh, you know, I don't think it inhibited my performance, uh, by any means. And, uh, and then coming out of it for the past couple of days, uh, I doesn't feel like I did any additional damage than what I would have done otherwise. And so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a concern. Um, but, uh, but I also didn't take any risks, right. I was, I was checking my footing. I wasn't pounding downhill with a heavy bucket. You know, I, you know, kind of go at a steady pace and, um, you know, I wasn't going to make up a lot of time in those sections, but I also wasn't planning to lose a ton of time in there, uh, either. And, and the entire course was so soft, right. You're in mud, water, and sand for almost the entire race and so it wasn't uh it wasn't like you were pounding pavement the whole time uh kind of doing damage to your lower back and during well i'm glad to hear that like you're feeling good because that's i mean just the volume of the entire race and uh, like we said like it wasn't necessarily a running injury to begin with and it seems that you've been able to train and somewhat recover throughout this i mean it seems like there's some little residuals there but not something that is going to set you back after like a long effort here or there but during during the race i was how i was surprised by how much of a gap you were able to create that early like chris chris bob brown is no joke he in yeah. in tahoe 2019 he crushed everybody in the ultra and then yeah. came back the next day and got like 20th in the, yeah. in the championship race. Like he's insane. He's really good. And he's one of the better, he was involved in that, um, uh, 50 K world record attempt. Yeah. With Hoka with, right. with Hoka. Right. And that wasn't too long ago. I mean, I think his fitness is always kind of present. I mean, I don't know what he's been doing in terms of the past couple of months. Um, yeah. but like, he can run. <laughs> so <laughs> when when you had the lead so early, I was I was actually kind of surprised on this. And um and then when we were talking 
actually before the race itself, you were kind of excited that the the spear throw was at the end because yes. your perspective is like you can't take the foot off of the pedal where I don't love the spear in the, at the end because it doesn't give any opportunity to make up for the mistake that is going to cause people <laughs> races. And so a whole right. race can come down to just a spear and there's like nothing you can do about it, which so I can see it both ways. Right. Um, but you coming into that spear, you had like four minutes or something on. So was there, was there ever any doubt? Like, did you know where, where everybody was? You know what? I had no, I had no idea. No, I had no idea where, uh, where Chris was at, at the time. I figured he was in second. Um, it could have been this other, uh, this other kid who came out, but, um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, he's always in contention. I never expect that he would be, um, he'd be very far behind. I figured he probably took some time off after that Hoka world record attempt. Um, you know, as anybody would, would have to take a little bit of time off from that. Um, so I wasn't sure what kind of form he was in. Uh, and again, he was running with me at the beginning, you know, pretty well. Uh, so, you know, I figured he'd try to keep me in contention, but there was one spot in the race in particular. Uh, it was after the, um, uh, armor where you had to, you know, basically carry this single, you know, actually, you know, it was after the log carry, after the log carry where it was like this long down. And then you basically do a hairpin turn and you come back on the other side of the stream and it's all exposed. So you can see where the competitors are and that's about halfway into the race. And I saw how, well, I didn't see anybody else right mm. behind me at that point. So I knew I had a really strong gap. Um, but again, with the spear throw at the end, um, you never, you, I, I was never so comfortable that I could really take my foot off the pedal. Um, and, uh, and so I continued to push, you know, push pretty hard and, um, you know, and, and Chris can always close, right. He can always make up time at the back on the backside. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I had to go, I had to go hard the, the entire time. It's a good feeling when, uh, you get the, like that, um, type of hairpin turnaround or like some sort of U-turn and there's nobody there. You're like, okay. Right great um but yeah there's always things that can that can go wrong and we'll talk about how that you may have felt yeah. in, the, in the super but in uh but during the beast you ended up having a four and a half minute uh lead going into that last section and the spear you missed yeah the spear i hit and it <laughs> bounced out so i hit it and it must have been like the chewed up part of the board and it just fell out and i was like all right well I guess I got to do burpees, right? So uh, <laughs> I would love for them to put up fresh foam for each one, but I understand why they can't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was <laughs> – but luckily, even at that point, um, because I had actually seen Chris when I was coming back into that section, I knew I had a big enough gap that, you know, a minute and a half of burpees or something wasn't going to uh, – wasn't going to allow them time to catch up. So I reluctantly did my burpees and, uh, you know, I got through the finish quick. Ohio deserves the freshest foam. That's the only way it should be. Well, if you're going to come to Ohio, I mean, you should build all brand new obstacles. Everything should be nice and grippy and dry. And uh, bring this junk! How dare you? Um, so, well, so it seemed like everything went really well. What was maybe your main takeaway from this race? Did you learn anything about this course in particular, or anything about your your fitness, or what was something that you were able to reflect on, or maybe thinking about now? Yeah. You're like a good strong takeaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I think the main takeaway was kind of the mental. Just it was really it was really the mental game here because going out hard at the start and actually saying to the guys, "All right, guys, we're going out way too hard right now," and then just not slowing down. 
um, you know, I think may have may have given me a little bit of an of an advantage there at the start. You can't do that for every race because there are going to be people who choose to hang. And, uh, you know, and, and you definitely pay for it too, right? I paid for it on the second half of this race for going out as hard as I did. Um, but it happened to work in my, you know, in my favor because other people went with me. Um, you know, if I had burnt that fuse and other people had saved it, maybe for the second half, uh, I would be in trouble. Um, but you don't tend to see that a lot in, uh, in Spartan races. People get a little overzealous and they just go, right? You, you really don't like, and it's weird because <laughs> yes. it, lead start to finish but you don't and i don't know if it is this there's this visual component to it and like the race can kind of get away because if you're not seeing things and like this course is a perfect example it weaves in and out so much that like just being able to not see people like disengages from the race maybe but people go out crazy in spartan races i never finish i'm i'm usually dead three quarters of the way through a spartan because i've gone out too hard um (laughs) Um, so cool. Yeah, that, that, that's a good takeaway. And then going yeah. into, so you, it's like an hour and a half drive both ways, right? So you drove there for the super, yep. su- for the, uh, beast drove home, drove back to the, right. to, for the super and sprint. Are you listening to music or are you a podcast when pre and post race? You no, know, I'm a, I'm a podcast guy. I listen to, uh, I listen to the daily from the New York times. I listen to uh, a little bit of the journal, I listen to NPR, BBC, World News. Uh, I, you know, I like to keep up with current events, and that's what gets me pumped. You know, you gotta be the the daily. The daily's strong. I try to get my daily fix as well. I Dude, Michael Barbaro just puts me in the zone. You know, I if only I could emulate his. Mm, I want to. I want to be able to on my podcast <laughs> be like. Mm. Like that's that's who I strive to be, on, on for, as a. You're podcaster. almost there, Rich. You're almost there. You'll be there in no time. Got to keep working. So. So you drive back for the super on uh, Saturday. Words, what? Yeah. Physically, I'm sure you're probably beat up. I mean, a Spartan race, you just get tore up a little bit. Um, yeah. It's a long distance, so there's right. definitely some residual fatigue. How are you feeling mentally going into Saturday? Yeah, Saturday going into it, uh, I wasn't sure who's going to show up who hadn't raced on uh, – or, or I'm sorry, Sunday, uh, going into Sunday. Sunday. I wasn't sure who was going to show up who hadn't raced on Saturday. Uh, so I was a little concerned about that. Um, and you know, and different and muscle groups hurt differently, uh, for this type of race where it's super muddy, you're sliding left and right. I don't Mm. know a single person who didn't say they were cramping on Saturday. Um, and I was feeling it in my adductors and, you know, just, you know, so, so I wasn't feeling the typical sore that you do after, after a beast, right. The day, the next day, um, I was feeling, you know, sore in, in other places. So, uh, uh, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure what would happen, but I was going to w- do a nice long warm up to get everything, you know, everything going and, um, you know, stretch out quite a bit. I got there. I always like to get to my races 90 minutes early at least. Um, so I just kind of ran around the venue. They didn't let us in until super late. So we didn't have much time actually in the venue to set up and, and, and get ready to go. Um, but, mm. uh, but yeah, but, uh, but then we towed the line and, um, yeah, there were some, there were some new faces and, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty much same story, same story as um, uh, as as a super. So you went you went to take it out hard. You had the same kind of approach, like hey, like like let's just see, let's see if I can get people to come with, and then just keep that and just trust my fitness and just keep the the gasp down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I knew John Penland was going to go out hard again. He loves to go out hard in these races. 
Um, he does. You know, Dustin, yeah, Dustin Livingood lined up with us. This, this guy, uh, Jacob Klinker from Colorado, mm-hmm. you know, was out there. Um, I think he might be 27, 28. Uh, really tall guy, um, which is always intimidating when I'm, I'm standing next to him on the line. But, uh, um, you know, but, but some good, you know, really good guy. Michael was there again. Um, yep. Adam Beach. So, yeah, Jordan Buscemi was back, right? So I knew that these guys wanted – were out for blood. You know, I figured they would they'd want to take me down if they had the opportunity. And uh, and actually, they they smelled blood pretty early in the race because of a mistake I made. And uh, and I think they tried to try to take advantage. But luckily, I was <laughs> I was able to recover. Tell me what happened because we're and, – and Twister is uh, how far into the race? Twister is – let's see. Twister's the fifth obstacle, um, so it was probably about oh. I don't oh, it's know. early at the second mile, huh? Yeah, it's the second mile. Yep. Oh. Yep. Um, it's about a yeah, it's about a mile and a half in. So when you do Twister, I mean, I feel like there's a couple of ways people go through Twister, right? It's like if you're confident in your ability to do it, but not to do it fast, you'll be like straight arm and going side by side, just grabbing it and matching hands. And right, not worried about right, the speed. Right. You can get through it, you're good on grip. If you wanna go a little bit faster and you feel like you're stronger on like the bicep strength, you flip around, you go backwards, and yep. that's that's not a bad way to do it. It costs a little bit. It's not the most efficient, I'm sure, but it can go fast if right, you're not right. very obstacle, obstacle proficient. You, however, are really strong on obstacles. So how do you do? How do you do Twister? Yeah, so I actually went forward this time. Usually I'd go backwards and just kind of you know muddle my way through it. This time I decided to go forwards because I've seen it work really well for for other athletes who can go through it quickly. I uh, got through it pretty quickly, um, you know. But uh, but right at the end, I was going through to hit the bell. And I actually started to swing back a little bit. So I'm swinging forward, swinging forward. I go to hit the bell. I swing back. I graze the bell. I actually do touch the bell, I promise you. Is it um, audible? Could we? But it was not audible. It was mm. not audible. And that's why I even hesitated. I dropped down thinking, oh, shoot, did it have to be audible? Did it not? Did I just have to touch it? Should I keep going or should I go back? And I was kind of in savage mode, so I ended up – kind of hesitating to go back to the front of the obstacle. Uh, and so Steve saw me hesitate, right? And so he himself questioned, did he actually get it? And and he made the call, right? He made the call to say, nope, uh, you got to do burpees. You know, that's a failure. So I wasted time going back to the beginning of the obstacle thinking, you know, I could redo it. And then I went and did, <laughs> then I went and did burpees. It was just a whole cluster. It was a complete mess. I looked like, I looked like such a rookie out there. You tried to redo um, it? It's like, oh, can I start? Can I try? Like- <laughs> I was like, uh, Mulligan, yeah, give me it was a Mulligan. That was a mistake. I was going to hit the bell. Let me try again. <laughs> it was so funny. And then, yeah, and you're just kind of, even a mile and a half into it, you're kind of foggy anyway. And uh, and so I'm like, all right, well, there goes my race. And and I don't blame Steve at all. I mean, he made right. he probably made the call I would have made. And in, in order for this sport to be legitimate, and I told him this afterwards, we have to have judges who are willing to make those tough calls 100%. Uh, in the heat of the moment. And, and he did. And so props to him for, you know, for being able to call out me, right. For, for not ringing the bell and, and shame on me for not really pushing through that bell and, and knowing to, to slap it hard. So they know I hit it. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I did my burpees. I went from, I was in first place at that point 
uh, with a pretty, I mean, for a mile and a half in, I still had a pretty good gap on, on those guys, uh, probably go, dropping down to almost dead last, right? At, at that point, it cost me a minute and a half. And a minute and a half, a mile and a half into the race is going to, and it probably cost me two minutes since I went back to the front. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna drop me pretty close to the, to the to the back of the pack. And that's not a great feeling. I mean, when no. when you're doing burpees and all you're hearing are bells getting hit and like no one's joining you in the pit, definitely been there. And it's like, <laughs> oh great, like I just messed up an easy one or something like that. Yeah. Twist, Twister's not necessarily an easy one, but um, so okay, so you're well back. You have no idea where you are. Then it's early. It's a six mile race. You're a mile and a half in. Yeah. Um, so do you get up and just hammer or what do you think? Yeah, no, I get up. Uh, I start hammering because adrenaline's going at that point. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, do I check out because I still have the sprint coming up and I can still hit the podium for the sprint if I decide to slow down right now, or do I just, you know, just go all out and try to reel in each guy um, and 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 hope for the best, right? Hope that I can get back and maybe the top five or something before the end of this race. And uh, and luckily, I made that call, right? I, I I'm not one to be in the middle of a race and choose to go slower or to slow down or to take it easy. Like that's just I, I don't think many of us are built that way, right? I think people can relate. Uh, so I said, all right, this is. This, this can still be mine. So I'm just going to go hard and, you know, and, and redline to the finish and, and, and hopefully get, you know, hopefully this will either be the, uh, the best comeback uh, I've ever had, or, you know, this will just be an embarrassing race and I'll move on to the next one. And it's just the thing, like, it's just a saying that I like to just remind myself or just whoever I'm talking to with, with, obstacle course racing you have to run the race that you're in and they you had two different races just there you had the race where you were in first and everything was was good and like you were probably yep. going to be able to continue to run a pace that is sustainable but hard and, and finish well and then you weren't in that race anymore the race that you're in was now you're in 15th and you got a hammer to kind of catch back up um right. and then so you kind of get back into that running part. are you just picking people off is it just yeah yeah much different position than i expected to be in but uh but i knew the course right uh luckily during the super that day we didn't have to run through other athletes who had started before us we were the mm -hmm. first one to start that day mm -hmm. huge benefit um and yeah so i just started burning through the mud and just like uh you know taking aggressive aggressive uh, you know declines aggressive climbs um, you know, getting through everything as quickly as possible. And then I started to see people, right? And as I was passing them, we were encouraging one another. I know John wanted to have a better race that day, John Penland, but he's one of the, the earlier guys that I came up on. And he just said he wasn't feeling it. But but John is the one who said, you can still get this, right? When I when he and I were running together and I was passing him, he said, this is, you know, this can still be yours, so go after it. And uh, uh, and that little bit of motivation, you know, from any any one of your competitors out on the course can really make a big difference. So props to John for being willing to encourage me when he wasn't having his best day and, uh, you know, kind of pushing me on. Love that guy. Great guy. Um, yeah. And then, so looking at his results, he was probably in like eighth at that point and him saying like, Hey, you can still get it. He must've had an idea of where people were. Um, I'm guessing yep. you didn't know that he was an eighth. I didn't at that know. Point. When, yeah, did I didn't you, know. when did you know, um, that you were kind of like, cause I mean, uh, Jacob 
Clinker's good. He's he does a lot of races and he wins a lot of races. Um, he is. He might not necessarily yeah. show up to like the biggest stages, but when he's at a race, he's usually there because I think he does this a lot, right? Like he just did the super, so I think he right. can, I think he masses a lot of podiums, but he knows how to race these things. He does a lot of them, so he knows how to do it. And Dustin's obviously good, proven competitor. Um, so was there? Anybody yeah. you needed to see that you're like, okay, well, John's also a great competitor. So I was, if I saw John, I'd be like, okay, I might be like in fourth or fifth now, if you know he yeah. wasn't having a great race. But when did you know that you were, that you actually were there? Was there a group actually, of them? Yeah, it was at the same point. It was at the same point where there was that big down and back where we hit the farmer's carry, um, you know, with the, uh, basically the logs on the chain or whatever. And, and you could start to see where everybody else was located. So I saw Jordan, uh, and Jordan, I knew would kind of be in the top five at least. Right. Uh, I saw Jordan Buscemi, um, and got to run with him through that section. Right. Mm. And as I came up on him and realized like how much ground I was making up, um, you know, I thought I, I thought I had a chance. So he, he gave me a little bit of encouragement there. Uh, then I came up on Michael Suazo, uh, who is, you know, who I saw going third down. the day before, it. right. Yep, who took third the day before. Uh, I didn't know what spot he was in, but as I was passing him, I was like, good job, you know, good job, Michael. Like, uh, what place are you, right? What place are you in? And he said, uh, he, said I, uh, he was in third. And so I knew, wow, now, you know, I've still got a couple miles to go and I'm already back to – you know, back onto the podium. So I'm in third place. Now I need to pick off or find Dustin living good. Who's no slouch. And, um, you know, and then Jacob Clinker, who I knew was going to be, was going to be pushing hard, especially when he saw me come off a twister. I figured he, uh, you know, he saw his chance at, uh, you know, at, at getting it. So, um, so those were the two guys who, who I had to find. When did you, cause I mean, the final results, you, you only beat them by like 13 or 15 seconds or so. Yep. So it's pretty close. When <laughs> pretty when, close. Did, pretty when did uh pretty tight for an obstacle race in like a mile? Not close. In an obstacle right. course race, very close. Right. What um when did you catch him? Yeah. So I caught. Uh, so I, I think I caught Living Good on the Z wall. Um, I got through that really quickly. Um, uh, that was probably less than a mile from the finish. Um, and then I caught. And then I could see, I could see Clinker, I could see Jacob up ahead, uh, moving pretty well uh, through this long stretch of mud, and that's when I just, you know, found my form, kept pushing, you know, uh, kind of let my let my legs do what they do, and uh, and then we hit uh, rolling rolling mud, um, and uh, and then the dunk wall, and so I, I hit those, and and we came out of. We came out of the the rolling mud at the same time, and you had to take this hard hairpin left turn, uh, this 180, and so I uh, and it was super super muddy because everyone's coming out of the water, everything's beat up from the day before, um, and at that point, that exact point is when I really started to to turn it on because uh, I wanted to create a gap there so that he wouldn't try to hang on to me for too long. So another kind of strategy just to, to push really hard through there before the slip wall, get over the slip wall fast. Um, go hit the rope, you know, a helix rope climb, got to hit my spear. Cause if I miss my spear and he hits it, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and living good is right behind us. Um, and then, uh, a frame to, to the finish. And so, uh, so I, I put on a gap there, hit the, you know, and, and, you know, just kind of burned all the way through the finish. Not, oh, so it didn't even necessarily come down to like the last little bit, like you had 
you had once I passed him, once I passed him in the mud, going after rolling rolling mud and taking that hairpin turn and, and getting over the uh, the slip wall as fast as I did, I knew that I had enough of a gap that as long as I hit my spear, um, I was I was going to be good. Um, and was there was there doubt going into the spear, or were you like I nailed this yesterday and like it would have stuck? Yeah. No, so I, were you I, pretty I, confident? I felt good. Yeah, I nice. felt great. I knew I knew I had the spear. Uh, luckily, nobody else was in the way there that morning. And then, uh, you know, same thing on the sprint, right? Nailed the spear. But that time, there were other people in front of me. So I felt kind of bad having to cut in line. But um, but that's Gotta what you have to do. do. Got to do it. You're in the elite wave. You jump in front. I'm sorry. You apologize. You hit the spear and then you go. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have any, any, any qualms about it. Um, yeah, because that's one of those things. Like, like the confidence can really go down if you miss a couple, if you miss them bad. But if you hit a couple, you're like feeling good about it. And it sounds like that was yeah. And and you can't go into that obstacle with any doubt. You got to go into the obstacle knowing that you're going to hit it. Because as soon as you hesitate, you try something different, right? You try to compensate. Mm-hmm. All right, usually I throw left, so maybe I'll go a little bit more right this time. Or maybe all right, don't don't forget to throw a little high. It, it, and then you you psych yourself out and you miss, mm-hmm. right? You just got to go do what you know how to do. Hit your spear and and, and get out. That's what, that was my mind. You know, be confident going into it. So second gold of the in like twenty four hours, which is fantastic. So you had a third gold stacked on top. How was the sprint? Was it? Did you just yeah. take it down? Sprint was um yeah. Sprint was start to finish. So I wanted to avoid any mistakes that I made in the previous two races. I really wanted to clean it up. Uh, I knew it was super short. I knew that I didn't have anything left after this, so there's nothing to to leave in the tank. Um, and you know, a lot of the same guys, you know, a lot of the same guys were there, so I kind of knew, you know, knew what to expect, um, you know, in terms of, of the competition. So, yeah, went out hard again, but in a sprint, you kind of have to go out hard. You can't, mm-hmm. uh, you really don't save much. You redline the entire way, and um, you know, managed to. Uh, uh, managed to pull it off. So Justin Jacobson was there too. He finished second. Uh, I pretty much led from start to finish. And I think I finished by about a minute, almost a minute and a half ahead of the, uh, uh, the next guy. Quite a bit in a sprint, but, but the, for your third race though, however, that's yeah. should be noted. Right. Yeah. And, uh, Michael Suazo came back, came through with third. So he had three top five finishes, which is pretty strong. Must also say Alex Walker also did the hat trick. So, Alex Walker, she finished. She would have been fifth in the men's race in the sprint. Like she is, she is no joke. Just incredible to watch. You know, I yeah. got to go cheer her on through her finish, and man, it's uh, yeah, it, it's cool to watch the way she works, and I know how hard she's been working. So it, it's great to see that pay off. Yeah, she's a straight up workhorse and just loves it, lives it. Um, so biggest takeaway from from the weekend, man. How are you feeling overall? Like, what would you feel different now than when you started, or like? How you feel? Yeah. You know what? Now I, I feel great. I think knowing I could put together those three races, I think the super more than anything was the, um, you know, was kind of the, the pinnacle of this weekend, knowing that you can be down by, you know, a couple minutes and be able to make up that much ground. Uh, gave me a lot of confidence. Right. And, and knowing that you should never check out, um, you know, from a race, never, you know, you're, you're really never out of it. If you, um, you know, you, you got to keep pushing and you never know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to fail an obstacle in front of you either. Uh, none of those guys did, right? They all, they all went pretty clean, but, um, uh, but yeah, that was, that was really the defining race of this weekend. Uh, I was really proud of the beast performance, really proud of the sprint, but that's super being able to keep pushing mentally and having the fortitude to do that. Um, 
you know, that meant a lot, especially doing it in Ohio. Other people knew that I was behind and there were a lot of my, my buddies, my friends, people, you know, in Ohio who know of me uh, doing, doing OCR in here in the Midwest. Um, so kind of setting that example uh, really meant a lot to me and, and, and they were pumped. That's pretty cool. It is cool. Like, because it's hard to get a lot of cheers you know, in OCR, but when you do hear some people that, like, you know, have, has your back yes. when it's like your hometown type of race, it means a lot. So you had to do it. And like you did the, the, the two ends. Oh, hold on. That's my rice cooker. Gotta be cooking, <laughs> uh, stay cooking rice, man. You know, oh, gotta, man. gotta get them calories in get those oh, carbohydrates yeah. in. Oh, this thing beeps for like actually 10 times, but, um, Instapot? Those are great. It's just a regular rice cooker. It's not necessarily Instapot. Oh, okay. uh, it's okay. like, it's, I think it's like a cousin, a less fancy yeah, version yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but you had, you had two really impressive races done and almost in the opposite ways. Like I actually don't know which one's more impressive. It sounds like the super was a little bit more of like a grind and have to go get it and a little bit more uncertain where just like the domination of the beast was just really impressive from my, my perspective of like everybody fresh is probably, you know, arguably the most loaded race of the weekend. So, um, and taking it from the start, missing the spear and still winning by like a minute and a half over one of the best that we have. Um, right. It was incredible. And being able to put your head down and grind out for four and a half miles to catch people and, and, and put it to work and, and still win is, is awesome. And obviously winning all three races is really cool. Did they pay you for the sprint? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I got to find out. I think so. I think because it is an elite race, I think they do pay for the sprint too. Um, but I'll, I'll tell sure. you in a couple of weeks if, uh, when I check my, when I check my PayPal account and tell you. That's, all, that's also sweet where you get to stay at home. And you don't have yes. to pay too much for travel. Just cover the gas. And you're good to go. Exactly. Slept in my own bed. You know, got to. It was yeah. It was great. I had um, you know my girlfriend and my you know her family were in town, so they came out and watched. They got to see what it was all about. So it was yeah. It was it was great, man. It had to be this way. There was no other possible outcome than what happened. It had to be this way. <laughs> um, what do you got next? Your uh, is it is Utah next? Yeah, we've got Utah coming. Actually, Indian Mud Run is coming oh, up nice. here toward the end of June, so that's gonna be that's gonna be sweet. I'm looking forward to, to Indian Mud Run and uh, super obstacle intensive. VJ is gonna come out for it too, so uh, VJ and I, that's gonna be that's gonna be epic. I can't wait for that. That's gonna be a really good combination between the both because it's a 10k, so it's a little longer, so it's a, more in your mm-hmm. benefit, and it's obstacle heavy. I don't think VJ has much on you in obstacles. Maybe obstacles in like a uh, like a, a race less than three k. But sure, sure. I don't know. We'll see. We'll it's see. It's going to be a good matchup. VJ's no slouch either. So. He is not. He is in <laughs> fact a not a slouch. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's great. He's coming out for an Ohio race too, and then uh, um, and then we've got Utah, and then two weeks after that we got Asheville for the U.S. National Series. So it's going to be yeah. We, we've got a couple busy big races coming up and uh i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be we're gonna have some fun and that Asheville course is not the Asheville course that from what i understand it's not the Asheville course that has been on the circuit right i think this is a flatter one i think this one is yeah this one's a little bit different so we'll we'll see how that plays out yeah well cool man you're you're proving you can do it all doesn't matter what the distance what the terrain you're, you're, you're smashing. So I appreciate you taking time. Appreciate you giving us this insight. So I'll make sure to link to the socials and make sure people know where you're going, when you're going there and how much you're crushing it. So awesome, awesome job, dude. Rich. Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, congrats to you too on the, uh, the high rocks in Orlando. Thank that you. Was, that was pretty epic. That was Thank awesome. You. Awesome. Yeah. To see. 
looking forward to the next one, but make sure to give a whole different type of recap when it, when it comes. So, cool. um, all right, man, I'm going to hit stop, but I think I need you to stay on here for a little bit. Okay. Sounds good. All right. That was Logan Broadbent kicking all of the butts all of the time. So now we're going to talk to Mark Gaudet talking about his ultra in Ohio. So that does that. It tells us we're, we're being recorded now. Mark Gaudet in the house. What's up, dude? How are you? Good. How are you doing, Rich? Good, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to catch up. I know things have been busy. You got a lot going on. We we're just kind of talking about it before, but you were able to knock out a Spartan Ultra, your first go at it. How are you feeling? How 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 is the recovery from something like that? I mean, I feel physically pretty good. I would say, uh, you know, my legs feel feel fine from the pounding. Uh, just you know, externally a little beat up. Just got some some rope burn and uh, some vines beat me up pretty good. But uh, yeah, like I'm I'm back running, back lifting. Um, so feeling pretty good. Just some of that typical Spartan stuff. Like you can't just get out of a Spartan and not feel like cuts and bruises and just like uh, my like legs are always bleeding randomly. Like, exactly. Yeah. I, I like debate going with full tights, uh, but then, you know, the temperatures were going to be up there. So, but then I didn't want to wear, you know, anything, you know, low socks and, and uh, in shorts, because I was like, man, I'm going to get worked over, over 80 obstacles and you know, 31 miles. So I kind of went with the middle ground and wore like three quarter tights and, and higher socks, but it, it really didn't matter anyway. Some man prees. I rocked some man prees there for a while. They seem like a good alternative for, uh, for, for OCR. I liked them. Um, so going into the, going into the race, right? Like there's a mean soon end for this thing, right? Like you got to get a race in to qualify for the 24 hour race in, in Telluride, which right now is something you're kind of eyeing up, right? Like that's a big race that you want to go after. Right. As of right now, that's probably my A race for the year. World doesn't pan out. And so it was this one or, you know, there's Fayetteville or whatever else is around, but this was just one like within driving distance, let's knock it out. And there actually ended up being some competition there. We weren't sure what that was going to look like, but it seems like a lot of people have that same idea that you have that, like you got to do the ultras when they're around. So, um, how are you feeling going into the race? I mean, I felt, I was feeling good. I mean, fairly unprepared um, with just, I put in one, I think 70 mile week, a few weeks out and I got in just, I think I got in two runs really up around two hours um, is really where I, what I got ahead of time. But like you said, you know, the, the plan was just to qualify for Telluride um, on this one. And that's why I picked Ohio. I just kind of was like, let me just grab a, a one-off venue that I normally don't go to just get up there, knock out the ultra, not worry about the rest of the weekends and just qualify for Telluride. And, you know, Fayville, I've got family in the area. I just wanted to, to go down there and be able to race all three of the trifecta um, later in this month. So I went in a little unprepared, but honestly, I felt just like my experience and, um, and my engine was strong enough to, to put in a good effort. 
That's what the thing with you and your, your training in general is what I found is in terms of volume, you're able to perform really well at really long distances without what will be like traditional, like ultra style training. You mentioned 70 miles a week, which is not nothing. That is still like some good running. Uh, but like, you can just kind of grind it out. And that's something that you say about yourself. You're like, when it comes, like, we know you have like 5k speed, but like your ability to just like put your nose in it and just like deal with stuff for a long time does can kind of carry you out. So that was kind of the idea, like going into this race, like, Hey, like this might not be where I need to be, but like, I know I can, I can just kind of do this. Right. Exactly. Yep. That's, that's kind of what I went in with for a mindset. Um, but the conditions were, I would say they're a little more difficult than I, you know, I anticipated. Um, and so it was definitely a, a longer effort than I had originally planned for. And was that uh, because of temperature or the mud? Because the course itself, uh, we talked to Logan before, and uh, we mentioned that it's like it was the beast distance caught like 700 feet or something like that. So, I mean, like in terms of elevation, that wasn't necessarily uh, part of the conditions that made it tough. Was it just like muddy or was did the heat end up being, because it was a hot day. Yeah, it, it warmed up, but I don't think heat really affected affected me too much. I think it was the it was just the mud. Um, the first loop was was great. You know, Tyler Beerman and I ran just about the entire first loop together, just chatting, and we were the first ones through. So, um, like there were some slick areas, a lot of water running, um, but that second lap through was just like a it was just a different race course. You had all the the ultra runners still on the first loop and you had all the beast runners either had gone through or still on the, on the course and they just churned up everything. So areas that you could just, you know, that were just like marshy on the way through all of a sudden were like mud up to your knees. And, uh, there were so many areas where you just were trying to stay upright. It was like hard to run and you were just trying to, you know, stay on your feet. Um, and then after like miles and miles of that on the second loop, you just start to fatigue in areas that you normally don't even feel. And I, it wasn't just me either. You know, I, I do a lot of training on the pavement and only get to a trail about once a week uh, just from where I live. So um, some of that's expected, but even guys who, who train every day on trails, um, including Tyler said the same thing. Like as we got later in the race, everyone seemed to have like start having calf cramps on obstacles where we had to, you know, jump or, um, or really strain to, to get up over some, over the top of something like the calves started cramping. So it became like a really a mental test the last few miles to, to get through easy obstacles where your, your calves are locking up on you. That's crazy. When you're doing like twister and like your calf is cramping, it's like, there's nothing to do with you leave this get out of here but that happened to me i ran i've only done one ultra and it was the 2019 uh uh, north carolina that where the venue that's going to be what is now the quote-unquote Asheville race it was at this equestrian park and the first loop it was raining it was definitely wet the first loop was fine though we could kind of manage it and the second loop was exactly what you're saying only it was that terrible orange mud and i wasn't ready I, I, I knew that there was going to be beast runners out there. 
but like the gear I had was great for one loop and the second loop, it just kind of ruined me mentally. Like I couldn't do anything. So this being your first kind of Spartan ultra, was this also a surprise for you? Or did you kind of think about it as like, it might change like this course is going to be different for half no. of it. So on the first lap, I, Tyler and I were talking and I said, you know, as you're running through certain areas, I, I mentioned on a few occasions, like this is going to be rough next time through after, after the masses come through here. And I, I planned for it. I had a, a change of shoes waiting at the transition area. And that was my plan going in is to go to a deeper lug. Uh, and just a different shoe. Oftentimes in, the, in an ultra distance, you change your shoe. It just feels like you're, you're starting fresh again with a, you know, your feet rub a little differently on a different shoe and you can kind of feel a little rejuvenated at that transition. So that was the plan all along. And then, uh, you know, just the, the mid race strategy kind of changed, um, about miles 17, 18. And I just decided to, to quick pit and came through and just grabbed, grab what I had prepared and I just went um, and I didn't take the time to change my shoes, which um, in retrospect, I should have taken the, the 30 seconds to a minute and switched into a, a better shoe. And whenever I like, I don't love gear conversations. I think like for the most part, at least from my background, like traditional road running uh, before the alpha flies or like on a track or something like that, it doesn't really matter. But OCR, I pushed back on it for a long time. I didn't think it matters. It does freaking matter. You need the right stuff for the right. And then do, preparing for an ultra, like gear becomes exponentially more important. What shoes were you wearing and what were you, what were you planning on? Like then changing into. So I started in the, the VJ max, um, which has just been a, a, a really trusty, you know, distance trainer for me. I wore them a little, I wore them in Tahoe in 2019. Um, and it's just, just a good, reliable shoe for, um, uh, I just know how they were going to respond in the mud on those obstacles. So that's where I just felt confident with them. I knew they'd get a little heavy in the mud and water, but I was okay with that for the first lap. And then I had the, uh, Salming element threes, which is a, a lighter shoe with a deeper lug, um, which drained a little bit better waiting for me for the second lap. So yeah, in retrospect, that would have been that would have been would you have just worn the salmings the whole time do you think that would have been a better fit or is that too long of a distance yeah that that was my concern with them i didn't know if there's enough shoe for 31 miles but i think the course was probably soft enough that i could have gotten away with uh with them for all 31 what was the decision to quick pit like why was it just because there you got you and, and tyler who ran phenomenal and like, this was his first ultra ever, I think. Right. So who knew? So we didn't know like what he was going to bring to the table in terms of like how to prepare for the race itself, but, um, he was running well. And like, was he ahead of you going into transition one? Yep, he was. So we ran the first 16 miles, pretty much shoulder to shoulder, taking turns leading. Um, and we got to that log carry. Um, which was like a pretty heavy log. We had to do that one time on the first lap. That thing was huge. I couldn't believe how long it was. Yeah, he got in. He went in like just ahead of me into that, like we were one behind the other. And he grabbed like his log first, got going. I was like searching for a good one, didn't find one. So I just grabbed one 
Um, and he got about five set, like looking back at Strava, he got five seconds on me on that carry. So he had like a, a pretty small gap. And then I was just kind of, it was like the first time that I didn't come right back immediately shoulder to shoulder, whether, you know, he got through an obstacle before, before me or a carry, he finished two seconds. I always would just like immediately come back shoulder to shoulder. That was like the first time where I kind of just like ran behind him for a little bit. Um, and that kind of brought us back into the closer to the festival area where the obstacles are a little more dense. So like the talking was over at that point. It was kind of like one behind the other. And we came in and uh, got to go through, you know, the uh, rolling mud and the slip wall again, which was fun to do that uh, for the first time in a while. And then you pop out of that and the next obstacle was the, um, the slip wall. And so he went up and over and like he was up on the top as I was like beginning my run up. And he got down it and had, had taken off. And I was on my way back down the, the wall, just, you know, walking, uh, like walking down it, uh, like frontwards, not backwards, like the, the prescribed method. Mm -hmm. And I got halfway up and I just, I just lost my footing uh, and pulled, a, you know, what Josiah did in Jacksonville. Like my feet went like in between the rungs down oh. the middle like folded me in half. And then I went down head first all the way to the ground and just kind of landed awkwardly on my, on my like left shoulder and side um, at the ground, which kind of gave me like a, it knocked the wind out of me a little bit. It did. Oh my God. Yeah, That's like a I, fall. Yeah. It, it was like, it was a pretty good fall. It was, <laughs> Where did uh, people were like, Ooh, did people yeah, see the, it? The volunteer came over and was like, wow, that looked like it hurt. Like, yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> I got up and Tyler was like still right there. Um, so I walked for a few steps as I'm like wheezing, trying to get my breath back. Um, and then I just, I started trotting again and I was like, okay, I'm good. And I just kept moving again, but he, you know, stretched out to probably 20 seconds there. And then we came in, he was on the spear. I was like climbing the rope. So I was like, you know, only 50 meters away, climbing the rope as he's throwing the spear. Um, and so we, we both stuck the spear and he like went around the corner to go into the pit. And I knew he didn't have any water left. And uh, I thought he had to go into the festival area to get water. Um, Cause they have a table like just outside of the pit area in the festival area with the water uh, cans on it. And so I was, I came around the corner, I looked into the pit, I could see down the course, like into the wood line. And I didn't think like he had enough time to get out of sight on the course um, because there was a good, maybe hundred to 150 meters, um, which I didn't think he had on me um, between the pit and like the next wood line. And so I assumed, like I looked into the crowd and there's people everywhere now in the festival area. I thought he just went out of the pit to, to fill up on water. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm still recovering from that fall right now. A little bit of a cushion right here could really help me and until he catches back up to me. So I, I mm. just, came, I grabbed my stuff and just kept moving. And, um, and so when I got out at the first obstacle, it was like a wall. And I asked the volunteer there, I, I said, am I the first one in a white like jersey to come through? 
And she said, yes. And so I said, okay. Um, and so I ran the next two, I'd say two to three miles thinking I was in the lead. Oh. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I came through an obstacle and uh, Dustin uh, was like, hey, great job, Mark. You're, you're only three minutes back. And I was like, three minutes back from who? And he said, yeah, Tyler, Tyler's up ahead three minutes. And he had, yeah, put a pretty sizable gap on me um in that that short period of time did because when we were talking about this before i was like wow that's actually a pretty savvy move did he do it with that intent to kind of like the same things like he probably looks like i got a little gap here if i can not necessarily pit i can maybe like extend it a little bit or was he was his plan just to never pit in the first place and he just was like i'll just get water wherever i can i think he he intended on getting water at the pit, but when he came in and he didn't see one and uh, like within sight, he just made the decision. Like I'm in the lead right now. I don't want to give it up here at the pit. I'm just going to get water on the course at the next aid station. Uh, was, that was his, it was a great move. Um, yeah. And so he just, he just kept going. So we, when Dustin told me I was three minutes back, it kind of just like completely woke me up for a uh for like the next couple miles and that was when kind of um caught like a second wind and i just started pushing to see if i could get him back in sight um so right. i really took her down over the next two miles or so trying to get get him get back in contact with him because thinking you're in the lead right like they're like you probably lost time thinking you were in the lead just based on effort, you know, like, and when you're just starting the second loop of a 31 mile race, you're like, now is not the time to press on my lead. Like if he comes, then, then I'll have energy to move when he approaches. So he was probably just running away from you. <laughs> he was. And so I, I was able to get him. I caught him one, well, I didn't catch him, but I, at the first sandbag carry he was coming in as i was picking up so i i got like eyes on him again and mm. um so i was able to catch my watch right there and then run that sandbag carry harder than i did on the first one i think <laughs> just so i could see like had i made up any ground on him what um, was the what was the difference at that point so i i cut it to just over two minutes by that point okay so I was like, okay, I've, I've gained a little bit, um, but still two minutes is a pretty good gap. This was the um, second sandbag carry or the first sandbag carry on the course? Cause there was two. First one. The first one. Okay. Was, so there's still time. Yep. Yeah. It was the first sandbag carry, the really light one. Um, so yeah, it was like two minutes and change. So I, I had maybe 45 to 50 seconds I'd cut off. Um, and that's even, you know, Dustin might've just rounded uh, to the nearest minute at the time. Um, who knows if I'd really um, dug into his lead that much. So then I, I had a little bit of confidence, like, you know, he's not experienced this distance, so I could just keep grinding and, you know, I might be able to reel him in late. So over the next couple of miles, I continued pushing pretty hard. Um, but it was like it, those next couple of miles were like a, that really sloppy, slippery, mud where you're, you're just getting so frustrated from kicking the inside of your legs with your shoe 
and then like slipping and falling down. And um, that was a frustrating few miles. And then like, just when I thought I couldn't get any more frustrated, I lost the shoe, <laughs> like completely off. And um, w- was it in just like thick mud? Like, was it some of that knee high stuff? Yeah. So it wasn't just like, I lost the shoe. I looked back and it was, you know, there on top of the mud and I went back and put it back on. It was, I was running, I stepped really deep, had like really good suction around my foot. I pulled my foot out, stepped forward. My shoe was gone and I looked back nowhere to be seen. You literally lost it. Like it was like your wallet. (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know where this is. And so like, and then, you know, all around it are just a million like holes where people have stepped. Um, so I just had to turn back and I just like guessed on a couple of them and I was sticking my arm, like I'm on my hands and knees, just searching through this thick mud. And um, fortunately, some people on course, you know, saw it happen and they're like on their hands and knees next to me. Oh, that's cool. Searching, searching and um I really don't, I don't have a good idea of how long it took. Um, it seemed like an eternity, but maybe a minute of searching, but we found it. Um, and then the trick was it was completely filled with black mud. Uh, so I, I was like rinsing it off in the, <laughs> the swampy water and I just shoved my foot back in and, and got moving again, but um, it just never felt that, that shoe never felt that um, that good for the rest of the race. I could imagine. I could imagine it was different after that. Yeah. Oh man. They're like, what is even the protocol? Like, what is the standard practice? What's the best practice for getting all the mud out of your shoe? Like it would take so much time to like get in there and like, like it's hard to get your hand all the way to the toe. Yeah. Yeah. I think I probably should have gone to the next like water section. We're running through fairly clear water and just take the shoe off and, and pull Mm -hmm. the pull out. And, Where's and third? Any idea where third is at this time? So that was my that was my other concern is um, there was some. It wasn't just like you know, Tyler and I weren't the only um, strong runners in the field. There was you know that Ian Caskey in there. Um, Josh Fiore. Sorry, yep. yeah. And then Max, Max, who took third, um, finished second in Mon- the Montana Ultra. So like this is what what He's he good. does, right? And from Denver. Um, so it's a deep field. So yeah, that was like, uh, it's kind of the reason why I still felt a sense of urgency to get the shoe on and, and keep moving. Cause I knew those guys couldn't be too far back. So, okay. So then that, so how much time do you, and how much time do you have then? Is it just like, just then just suck it up and finish just like, let's get this thing through. Are you starting to cramp up at this time then too, as well? So the cramps. Yeah, I was. It was about that, uh, yeah, not too long after that is when the, the cramps started appearing a little bit, but they weren't, they weren't bad um, at first. They really didn't get bad until like the right towards the end when it was uh, the, you know, like the, that ledge on the, uh, the vertical cargo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you jump up. That was the one like notorious obstacle for everybody. That oh, because they're jumping. As soon as you jump and you like catch yourself and go train, all flip. yeah, like both calves go. And uh, <laughs> I thought it took a little bit of time on the on the top of that thing to 
to like, you know, stretch out the calves and to get over the top of that. Um, but if you, if you watch the videos, like Tyler was moving a lot better than I was at the end. Um, and he put a, he put a really solid, uh, gap on me too. So, I mean, he was definitely more prepared, um, definitely the stronger athlete, um, last weekend. So definitely don't want to take anything away from, mm. from performance. Cause that was, was super incredible for, uh, you know, super impressive for a guy doing that for the first time. And it's like you said, right? Like the race that you're really gearing up for is not till what, like October, over, yep. So you, so it's, it's, it's not impossible. It's very hard to have two different races on up, like to be completely prepared for. So you just had to go there and do the best you could with what you had at that time. And it seems like you accomplished that mission, but yeah, I saw the video that Logan took of the, of you near the end. It looks like you went through something that day. <laughs> I was like, Oh man, this dude is ready to get done. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a gut check, but sometimes like those efforts like that, you know, pay off in the, in the long run of, uh, you know, I got Fayetteville in a few weeks and you can lean heavily on those, on those moments right there. When you, when you think you're hurting, you're like, well, at least my calves aren't completely locked up right now. And that's just kind of like that, that speaks to who you are as a person and an athlete. Very, very, very much. So that like, you're just like, well, I did that really sucky thing. So the next thing that I'll do won't suck that bad. So it'll be fine. <laughs> so it, it was all worth it at the end. Um, Oh, cool, man. So you got, so overall, I would say a success of a race considering the buildup wasn't crazy considering some things went wrong. That's the other thing with ultras too. The more you can do, the more you realize how, what things can go wrong and how you can troubleshoot them. So it's always time well spent. Um, when's Fayetteville? Uh, I think it's the 26th. Oh, okay. So that's soon. This yeah. Month? So you got that. And then you're thinking Palmerton, probably um and then utah Maybe? so yeah palmerton and utah are tbd at this point depending on uh the arrival of our third child um it's right around that time so if he comes early i'll likely be there um if not i will probably have to miss one or both of those now, are they all going to play guard or are you going to have like a one or two? Hopefully somebody gets some size. You can put them in like a, like a three and D kind of guy. Or do you think they're all, they're all handling the ball? Our oldest has got some size to him. So yeah, he might, he might bang in the post, but I, I think we're probably gonna have a one, two and three. Okay. Uh, That's not bad. The whole starting like front court, like some in the front court, a little back court, stretch the floor. That's good. That's yeah, good. we just get like basketball now. What's that? <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> the only thing is that they hate sports. But <laughs> uh, well, cool, man. I appreciate you taking this time. I know you're busy. I uh, got a lot going on, uh, but still able to kind of get out there and perform well and, and and represent. So glad you punched your ticket. I'm assuming, right? Like, what do you even have to do to 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 qualify for this race? Just run one. I I don't know. I maybe there's something to get like the elite uh bib i think and maybe a top 10 at one top five I'm not i'm not honestly not sure hopefully a, the second place will will do it i think that'll get you there um and when it does like that'll be the race to really kind of kind of go at it so 
So we'll plug your socials, but if you see Mark down at Fayetteville, um, make sure he's got his shoes on. And this slip wall is going well in Fayetteville, damn it. Yeah, yeah. The front side got me in Charlotte, backside. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. What? Well, All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm just going to hit stop, and that'll be that. All right. That was Mark Gaudet, the ultra. Man, that is just like a whole thing. So glad he got that in. Glad we got a chance to talk to him. So now it's just me. Now I'm just going to talk. Now I'm just talking. So I'm going to talk about High Rocks in Orlando. I hope you enjoy. All right, what's going on? My name is Rich Ryan, uh, bringing you a recap of the most recent race at, in Orlando, Florida for High Rocks, a race that I went down there. I got second in. So the idea of this is just going to take a minute to go through all the splits so that it can kind of paint a picture of what the race actually looked like in general. So uh, just laying out the framework of what my expectations were leading into this. I hadn't run a ton going into it. I had missed about... <clears throat> I didn't miss. I ran, I was running sporadically for about four or five weeks um, after the previous DecaFit event. And I hadn't done much quality work and my volume was really pretty low leading into it. So I didn't have huge expectations in terms of how well I was going to be able to perform, but I was working, I was doing a lot of work. I was still on the rower a lot. I was on ski a lot. I was doing a lot of strength work. So I was really able to uh, be as prepared as possible for, for the circumstances that I had. And, and with that, I just wanted to go into the race and hit it as hard as I possibly could just to kind of see where I was and with no other expectation, but to perform at the highest of my ability uh, within the, the framework of what I was presented with in my, my current situation. So that was the idea behind the race. And plus there is a uh, race in Chicago at the end of the month that I did want to qualify for. So that was like the mission to go down to see where I was and to really uh, go as hard as I possibly could and to possibly qualify for Chicago. So the expectations in terms of place, I wasn't sure. Uh, I knew uh, Dave McGee was going to go there. He's super strong, really fast and has done, has been preparing really heavily for these. So wasn't sure how I was going to go. Um, but if I laid it all out there, I got first great if I laid it all out there, got 10th also great. So that was really the idea behind it. But leading into this, I just wanted to break down the splits and kind of, look at where the shortcomings were or where I really could uh, improve down the road. So when we're looking at the splits themselves, the, uh, the opening run was actually pretty easy. And when we're looking at this, the pace for the first run, David and I were right next to each other. It was about 558 pace. So that pace in general is pretty uh, slow and comfortable um, for lack of better terms. It's, it's, very much in line with what a marathon pace effort would be, if not slower. So the pace was very comfortable. And if you ever run a marathon, you know, that first mile or so is pretty easy. The first half marathon is pretty easy. So these first thousand meters was really, really easy. And that's how I wanted it to feel. I knew it was going to, it's still 67 is what my time ended up being. And it ends up, uh, it's a pretty long race. So that's a, a time frame that if I was running on the road, I'd probably cover 11 miles in a race. So if you're preparing for any type of race that's that long, it's going to uh, need some pace work in it. So that was the idea behind oh, up front. And uh, just talking to David as he's kind of mentored me through this and kind of talking about like what the strategy would be. He was really dialed in. He knew what pace he was going to want to run. And you can see on these splits, because these are my splits here on the left, and there are David's here on the right, and just kind of goes through it. And, and so that first one was super easy. We were both 
343, uh, which again is about 558 pace. And we're just running like side by side on that. And then we got into the ski erg and I'd spent quite a bit of time on the ski erg and in high rocks, they have it set around seven, I think is what it was on the, on the damper. So I lowered that to about five because that's where I'm most comfortable and anything higher, it's hard to produce enough power and stay in a, in a zone that is comfortable for me. So I, I dropped it down to five and just started to go to work. And again, I've spent enough time on it that I want, that I knew it was going to feel comfortable and that I wanted it. And I knew what comfortable felt like, because sometimes on those machines, it could be a little tricky to know, but I had a good idea of what that pace and what that effort was feeling like. So I just settled in and ended up in and out of the zone at in around 404. So it's, it's important to note that in this particular race for high rocks, there wasn't a, a rocks zone quote unquote, and a rock zone would be the difference between the time that you came off of the running track and started onto the, the workout zone. So it's like a transition zone more or less. And what the, so, and what, if you had a rock zone, it gives you a really clear idea of what your run splits were and what your workout zones were on this one. The workout zones were um, kind of a mess. You didn't really know because there was a lot of transition time in between. So I would say it could be anywhere from in the earliest ones. Like this was probably a 10, like five, probably 10 seconds difference where, um, the, uh, later ones are probably closer to 30 seconds because there's a little bit more room to run and, and a little bit more fatigue coming in and out of that zone. So for 404 for the skier, again, I felt like I was rowing about uh, 153s, 154s, and I thought that was a good place to be, and that's something that felt comfortable. David was out of there in about 401, so he got three seconds on me on that first station right from the jump. So I knew um, that I could easily catch up to him. He's really he, he has a good sense of pace, and that pace that we were running in the first thousand if we just continued on with that wouldn't be too difficult so I, I i just kind of gradually caught up to him in like the first i don't know 200 meters and then just ran side by side with him uh ended up kind of taking the lead for a little bit but not with the idea of pushing it just the idea of of to not draft and to kind of split that workload um because we were talking corresponding through these first two runs in the ski erg it should probably feel easy at that point is right in the beginning of the race. So it did feel pretty easy up in that first like 10 minutes, but then that's where it stopped feeling easy. The, uh, the sled push is the second zone in this, um, in this whole event. And the sled push is the thing that you hear these nightmare stories about, like the carpet's hard. It's super heavy. Like it's hard to get traction on your feet. There's a ton of friction on the carpet. So I knew that this zone was going to take a lot of effort, but it took a lot of time to prepare for the, the push itself. A lot of my training was designed around that. And I got a lot stronger in just the push over the course of, I'd say the past eight to 10 weeks, I probably was pushing the sled two to three times a week. Um, sometimes really heavy, sometimes not as heavy, sometimes some more volume, sometimes with running in between, sometimes not. So I was just, I was as prepared as I could possibly be, but I just wasn't sure what that carpet was going to be like for the actual push. And it turns out that the carpet that I've been training on almost identical to what was at high rocks. So I might've been the only person who's ever gone to high rocks and got the exact experience that I've gotten in training. And so for that, I'm, I'm fortunate. So like if you're on, if you are training for this and you have like turf, that's like raised from the ground, that's like actual grass. It, it doesn't have as much surface area to grab and, and create that friction. So it's not as heavy. <laughs> it doesn't feel as heavy. It slides along that type of grass turf much easier, but if it's like a flat carpet, it, it, 
it just kind of sticks onto it and, and it, it takes a little bigger effort. So I had that in my training. So I was uh, pretty fortunate for that again. So going into the sled push, David's total sled push time was about 4.04 and mine was 4.18. So that's with the transition. So probably without the transitions, I would say this was probably one that would be like closer to 20 or 25 seconds. Um, but he did put up another 14 seconds on me there. So, uh, so he went, so he was able to, yeah, lengthen quite a bit between the push and the, uh, transition zone and the, the push itself went great. I'm actually kind of pumped about how that push went because I, I've heard people taking, you know, six, seven, eight minutes and just really having their race just blown apart right from the jump of this thing. Uh, but I was there, I was, I was with the race. He wasn't pulling away from me. He, he got a little bit of space on me, but I was still in it. Um, but then the run was rough. <laughs> that run after the sled push was really, really hard. Uh, my, my run split was about four twelve. Uh, which equates out to 6.45 pace, which for me is a pretty standard normal distance run. If I went out for any type of distance run by the third or fourth mile, I probably will be there in a pretty comfortable run at 6.45. David's run was um, 3.46. So he put 26 seconds on me on that on that run alone. So David's splits have been, were great at this point. So far he's ran 3.43, 3.41 on the second one, and 3.46 after the push itself. So to me, this was like, what was really glaring about this whole part is like how, how much of an, and it's something that I knew like this, I was working just from the training. I was thinking about this, how, how to equate this. And it's like, okay, if this is an 11 or 12 mile race, say this is a half marathon race, right? It would be like running a, an all out mile in the second mile of a half marathon and then needing to get back to your regular pace. So the sled push was like that all out hard, crazy mile. And then right after that, that run to get back to regular marathon pace, uh, didn't translate very well, very well for me. So I was, got in over my head with that sled push because I had to exert so much energy to push it that that run was really freaking hard after that. And that was about, um, and then, so like about 500 meters into it, uh, Bracken Cracker was there. He's on the, uh, Bracken Cracker was on the sideline saying like, Hey, it's going to get better. <laughs> it's not going to suck this whole time. And it did get better, but it took some time and it was still, uh, the damage had already been done at that point. And, uh, David had put on 26 seconds and he had put on 14 seconds on the actual push. So it was about 40 second swing on that, the sled push and the third run. Um, then we came into the sled pull and the sled pull honestly was pretty unknown. Uh, again, for me in training, I didn't know that my carpet, my, my training surface was pretty similar to what high rocks training surface was and the rope itself creates an obstacle where it's pretty long and it stretches a little bit and it's it, it starts out really hard uh because of the rope length and it gets easier as it goes along but um so i didn't know how this was going to go but i just kind of did what i could did what i did in training and just picked it up and started pulling the thing and my sled pull was actually great i had the best sled pull of the day um my split was 526 and david was uh 633. So I actually caught up in that 40 seconds that he put on me and put like almost 20 seconds on him on this sled pull itself. So I was out the gate. I was out through the zone faster than he was. So I was winning at this point. And this is the fourth zone into the fourth run. And at this point I was feeling okay. My run came back a little bit faster. So I was able to drop the run back down to 359. 
I mean, the thing with David, he was right back to it, right back to three, 343 on his run. Um, and it was 16 seconds faster than mine. So the 20 seconds that I had put on him was now back down to uh, four seconds leading into the burpee broad jumps. And at this point, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I was pretty tired. I uh, was resting a little bit more than I would like to on these burpee broad jumps. And going into it, I thought the best way to do these was to just go down and take one step forward uh, after the burpee, like chest to deck take one step in, follow the other leg, and then have that momentum of the back leg coming up, go right into a hop. When I practice that in training, that is by far the fastest. When I was watching old videos, um, it's kind of what Lauren Weeks does. Eric Hinman was doing that at the Dallas one, and they were both the like the top two or three for the burpee broad jump. So again, it's like chest to deck, one knee comes up, other knee, uh, uh, one knee comes to your chest, other leg follows, and then the jump and staying in that low crouch position so you can get your chest to the deck quicker. Um, I do think that's the right strategy, but I was just whipped. I was just exhausted by the time that these burpee broad jumps came around. And I was resting a lot. I was feeling pretty fatigued at this point, And I was just tired. <laughs> the, the, the sleds did take quite a bit out of me at this point. Um, even though the run did get a little bit better and the Bruce Brothers jumps weren't too bad. Um, again, mine were 319. David's were 304. So he made up that minute, uh, that 22nd uh, gap that I had put on him because of the pull and was already back out in front of me. So it was only one zone or so that, that I had any type of lead on him. And after the burpee broad jumps, the, the, again, the running was just punishing for me. Like I just didn't do well on the runs at all. So I was back at 355 on the fifth run and David was 343, which was another 12 seconds. So he was able to, to catch back up and then surpass me and, and kind of lengthen. Um, coming into the row, the row I thought I had a good shot of doing well in. I did. Um, I've been pretty strong in rowing in general, so I've been pretty happy with my progress in, uh, in for training for that. So I thought this might be a spot where I would be able to do well in. So again, coming in, the foot pedals were strapped pretty tight. I don't know if they just go around that before each uh, each. Cause David did the same thing that were, they were pretty tight, the pedals around his feet. So I don't know if they just like pull them tight before they uh, start each heat or whatever. But in this, this one, they were, the, him, him and I both had a hard time getting our feet in there. Um, and again, the, the rock zone wasn't in play, uh, wasn't taken out. So our, our rows look really slow where mine was 437. David's was 424. Uh, I was probably running, rowing about 153 where I thought it'd be about 150 on this. So it's about a six or seven second difference that I thought I was going to be on this. Um, and David must've been kind of cranking along around that probably 150. So he put another 13 seconds on me here. And the one thing about the pull, I, I, my pull is very much, uh, like I keep my, the, I'm talking about back to the rope pull. So the sled pull, it, I keep my arms straight with it. So it ends up being pretty demanding on my hands and the, by the time I got to the row, I was, I was feeling kind of pumped. <laughs> I was pumped in my arms from the two, from the sled pull. And then there was a, a run and then a broad jump and then another run. And then the row and my forearms were still kind of pumped during this. And I was wearing uh wrist wristbands to try to keep my hands from being so sweaty, but the wristbands, like I could feel the, like the, my forearms pumping into them. And it felt like it was really kind of restrictive at that point. So I don't know if it was a mistake wearing them where it warm or warm, kind of like a mid forearm where I should have been wearing around my wrist. Um, but I didn't want to cover my watch. I don't know. I guess, I guess that was a mistake. 
I don't know if it made any difference, but all I know is that I could feel my forearms feeling pumped and it felt pumped on the row. Um, and then the run after that was actually pretty solid. I was 350, which was my fastest run after since my second run. So after the row, the run does kind of come back a little bit. I mean, it's some time that you have to sit. And as um, like you're sitting and, and you're, for me, my heart rate does go down no matter what the effort really is on a row, unless it's like a really long, hard sustained row. So I got off it and was able to run like pretty decent but david just ran faster he ran 341 his was nine seconds faster and then we came into the farmer's walk which is two which is 200 meters of uh 72 so uh two pood kettle two two pood kettlebells in each hand and along with the wristbands i was also wearing gloves and uh they're like receiver gloves that had that real stickiness to them and they worked really well for the first three stations but then i sweat like an incredible amount and the the gloves were just completely soaked through, um, which made that there's, it's only one consistency across. There's no, there's no grooves in there. There's no place for that moisture really to go, but just to go across the surface of the slick, like stickiness. And when it gets wet, it's like really, really slick. Um, so the farmer's walks were hard. I did about 50 meters. I had to put it down and then I, I, I couldn't really grab them because my hands were so slippery. And again, my, my forearms were pumped. Like I was tired. Like my grip strength wasn't, my grip endurance really wasn't where it needed to be from this. And, and the sled and the, the row actually took a lot out of it. So the farmer's walk was a disaster. And that should have been one of the stations that was more of a gimme because it's, um, it's not that heavy. It's not that hard. And you see some people do this under two minutes. Um, and at this particular, uh, race most people were saying their their farmers carry were about a minute slower than previous and i don't know if it was a little bit longer or it was just because we had to go down and back four times so it's a lot of stopping and turning around and it's it's a natural spot to stop and drop your and drop the kettlebells for a little bit as maybe you just kind of stop and spin around and then pick the kettlebells back up to start the farmer's walk again but uh whatever it was i mean that didn't matter for me because my my hands were super wet my forearms were super pumped and I just couldn't grip the thing. So it took me almost four minutes, 358, which was like the 17th best of the day, but my worst station by like 12 spots or something like that. And David was 224. So he put a minute and 34 uh, seconds on me right then. So at this point, the race is over for me. Like I just am now in complete survival mode. Um, I had to take my gloves off and my hands were completely soaked and I just couldn't really do anything with the farmer's walk. So it's a strange station to have it really blow up on me. And I didn't really anticipate it happening this way, but I didn't practice the farmer's walk very much. <laughs> and I hadn't really gotten to this point of a fatigue in a workout. Um, one, because the volume really couldn't be there because of the running. And two, because I wasn't really that focused on the farmer's walk in general. I didn't think it was going to matter. I thought it was a gimme and it wasn't. So that was, uh, there really aren't any gimme stations in this. Um, I felt that same way for the burpee broad jumps, which I lost time on. And also kind of lunges because at that point I just thought like it's not that heavy and I'll just be able to kind of get it done. Um, so after the farmer's walk, I would uh, – uh, my run was fine, 351, so not too bad. Uh, David's was 338, so another 13 seconds. And then the lunges were pretty slow go for me. Um, and at this point, it's just complete fatigue, complete exhaustion, um, pretty deep into the race at this point, And I just didn't really have too much left to muster. And with the bag on my shoulders, my hands and forearms were still really uncomfortable, like really uncomfortable to like, and I was moving around the grips. I was having it in the front. I was moving out to the side just to give it a little bit of a reprieve. 
um, from, from that feeling. So the lunges were down and back four times, um, uh, two times I should say, and took me five seventeen. took David four twelve. So another minute and five seconds on that. Um, not much to say about this, not much prep that I could have done. Uh, this is more of a general fatigue and endurance issue rather than a form issue or a strength issue. I was just tired at this point. I, I this is a, the longest amount of work I've been able to do the longest run or time I've spent on my feet up until this point. So I was just dead, man. <laughs> I just couldn't really do anything about it. And, uh, the final run was also was really bad. It was my slowest run. It was 427, which is 709 pace, which is like what I would run if I walked out the door at any given moment of any day of all time, like it's just not a fast pace for me, but that's all I could muster up. My calves were cramping up. Um, I didn't bring any fuel. I did. I brought one goo with me, but I didn't know when I was going to take it. I didn't really have a plan for it. And, um, I don't think that's why I was cramped. I think there was just a lack of work that I put in for the run that really kind of caused that cramping. And if I was to put some fuel in, I probably had done it after the row and I'm probably going to change the type of feeling that I have. I like the Morton gels, which are a little bit easier to take down without water. I did have a goo pack. It's all, it's just like all I had. And those aren't that easy to take down when you're going really hard and you don't have any type of, of water to help wash it out. So it's not, it's not the most ideal type of fuel for a race like this. And the last station is hundred wall balls. Going into this, I had a plan to do 25s. I thought 25s would be cap I would be capable of doing 25s no matter what. I'm pretty good at wall balls. I've done uh, over 100 unbroken uh, several times. I don't find them that taxing, especially with a 20 pound ball. I don't think they're that hard. But after all of this work, they are hard. <laughs> so I did the first round of 25, no problem. Second round, 25, uh, a bit of a problem. And then after that, it was like, whatever I could muster up. It was maybe 10 here, six or seven there, 10 here, there finally got to 90. And I was like, Oh my God, this is finally going to end. I'm going to do all of these. And I'm going to finish this freaking race, um, which I did. And the wall ball time was 455. actually like second or third on the day, which I was pretty happy with considering how terrible I felt and how bad I thought they were going. And David's were, were 452. So he was only about three seconds better than I was on that, which is like the, Aside from the ski erg, uh, the aside from the sled pole was like the closest I was to him on any station for the entire entirety of the the work the the entire uh, race. So, um, so I was happy with that, I guess. But you know, he didn't have much to push for at that point, and I was just in straight up survival mode. So, comparing the two of us, uh, my his run was about a minute and fifty two seconds faster than mine, and his stations were two minutes and twenty seconds faster, and he was four minutes and twelve seconds faster overall. So there's clearly room on the farmer's walk if I can just clean that up like by half. You know, that's like forty five seconds of time that, that I could shave. And the lunges, there's probably a good thirty five to forty seconds of just effort that I could put in there. Um, to, to shave off a couple of seconds, um, just based on no fitness or no training at all. And, and moving forward, really what I figure is going to be the best bet is going to just kind of spending time on my feet, uh, getting in some hard quality workouts, getting in some compromised workouts where I'm able to run fast after doing some burpees or doing after doing the sled push and really focusing on the race specifics because that's just what I wasn't ready for. I wasn't ready for the back half of that race. I wasn't, uh, and it's just kind of 
a byproduct of the circumstances of not being able to run that much leading into this. I wish I had more time to put in on the run itself, which I didn't. There's nothing I could really do about that, but I got two and a half, three weeks to prepare for the next one. I'm feeling good. Uh, my hip felt pain-free for the first time, uh, two days before the high rocks event. So, uh, just in the nick of time. Uh, so it didn't have any bother it, during the race. It hasn't bothered me since the race somehow. And I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling excited. I think there's room to grow. There's not gonna be a ton of time to take off between now and Chicago, but there's definitely something to be said about being race sharp and having race experience. It's like, if you do a 5k for the first time, uh, and then you do have another 5k a week or two later, you'll probably be better in that second one, even though your fitness probably isn't that much better from the first one to the second one, it's just a matter of being that familiar with that feeling that's going to come. So the familiar, that, that feeling is very present right now. I'm going to put in a couple workouts that is going to help keep that there. That are going to be big, long, crazy workouts. Um, something that are going to be more on the race sim side of things, but not maybe not in an actual race simulation, but something that's going to kind of break it apart because I, that's just kind of how I like to train. I'd rather um, blow the workout to pieces and do different parts. So I can get a little bit more volume here or there where I kind of need it as opposed to, um, just doing the race simulations all the way through. So that's kind of the deal. Uh, overall I feel pretty good about it. I'm, I'm happy that I did it. I'm happy that, uh, I, I liked it. Um, and I'm happy it didn't go completely sideways. Uh, I just went about half sideways. So yeah, cool. I hope you enjoyed this and yeah, we'll end it and we'll talk to you soon.